0: Hey guys, welcome to Performance Complex with your favorite podcast host, Brianna Williams. I am a trainer, a coach, fitness and wellness advisor, whatever you want to call it. I probably do that. And we are on our fourth episode. Very excited about this. Not super excited because I am recording this late. Um, My day just got more hectic than I thought it would, but I definitely do need to probably record early and edit so that The the podcast is fully ready for Wednesdays and Sundays, but I'm going to try and power through and do the best I can do to uh, stay consistent with this recording. So in this episode, I want to talk about the relationship between fitness and technology. I feel like technology is a great tool if used properly, but it could definitely also be abused And so I want to talk about kind of the drawbacks and the benefits of technology. So we're going to be talking fitness watches, having too much data, not being able to um, like intuitively train because we're kind of bombarded by all this technology. We're going to get all into that in this episode. But first, I want to preface this episode with a movie I watched a couple of days ago on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Um, I hadn't watched Netflix in a while, and so I was like, you know what, let me see what's kind of in the top 10, let me see if anything new has come out, and I came across a Social Dilemma, I kind of saw the preview, and I was like, I know I need to watch this right now, because immediately in the preview, I already saw some of my own thoughts reflected in what they were talking about, so I watched it, and wow, great Great film. I think everyone who is on social media, even everyone with a smartphone, definitely needs to watch this film. Um I haven't looked at any critiques or reviews of it, but I've just done my own internal thinking about it and I just want to share some of those thoughts with you guys. If you haven't watched it, press pause on this, go watch it, then come back because there will be spoilers. Although it's a documentary, so I don't know how many spoilers there could be, but there will be spoilers, uh, in this podcast from now. Okay. So everyone, leave if you have not watched it, if you have watched it, stay. If you don't think you're going to watch it, stay. I am a millennial. I'm right at the end of the millennial generation. I was born in 1996 um, so I'm, I'm teetering right there. And depending who you ask, I may not even be a millennial, but I'm going to navigate as if I am one. And for me, this movie is interesting or this documentary is interesting because I i guess you could say I'm kind of the first generation that semi-grew up with technology. So when I was in, I think, probably sixth grade I got my first cell phone and it was a Razer flip phone um and I thought that was cool I could talk to my friends we could text every now and then although texting at that time wasn't super popular and then from then I got a Blackberry which is pretty cool then this is kind of when the smartphone started coming out and the first iPhone came out uh when I was probably in eighth grade or maybe ninth grade don't fully remember um the first iPhone came out I could have completely butchered that so if you go back in time (laughs) and you realize that the grades don't add up it's just because I don't remember but I was a teenager when the first iPhone came out and just considering that I never would have predicted from the first generation iPhone to now that kind of this is where we would be you know, in this app centered world, you know, this very online social world and environment. Um, I have a younger brother, he's 10 years younger than me and he literally grew up on social media. He's in middle school and he had a phone since he was probably eight, nine, Um, He he had a a tablet way before that. He had access to television way before that. Um, When I was growing up, I didn't watch TV. I would just read and play and imagine and go outside. And I was very active. And with him, um, he was active, but I did notice that he had kind of this reliance on having to be entertained by something. So, of course, that is a result of his environment and what was given to him. Watching this film, they in the documentary, they kind of pose this imaginary family for us to um, look inwards into this issue, maybe even putting ourselves into that family. And I definitely saw aspects of my own family dynamic in that on-screen family, just in terms of, you know, these young kids, this Generation Z, um their reliance and addiction really to social media, their addiction to this technology, their inability to function without it, literally their inability to function without it. And it's just because their minds are so young and fragile and impressionable that they really are going to latch on and attach themselves to whatever is given to them. Um, so I definitely don't blame Generation Z because they're just kind of a product of their environment, just like anyone else's. I mean, in their environment, you know, right now, big tech is it. You know, your social life, most people's social life, is in their phones. You know, we've. I was I was telling my dad he was watching the movie as well, and he paused it, and I was telling him, you know, text messages have replaced phone calls. You know, so when you text someone, a lot of times people will send these long paragraph text messages. And that really has replaced the phone conversation. And phone conversations have replaced in-person connection. And in-person connection is not even in-person because there's just FaceTime. So it's like rarely are people getting together. And when they are getting together... They're connecting with someone else. You know, I, I find myself when I'm in groups of people, um, people will be on their phones. So it's like we're hanging out, but you're in your phone hanging out with someone else through your phone. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of just like every aspect of our communication has been deduced into a smartphone, it be through texting, phone calls, FaceTime. And then even what this film was specifically about is social media. I know that's a sensitive topic for most people. I know my generation, the millennial generation, has kind of taken this extreme ownership over social media and protecting our dependence on it. Um, You know, social media is just a tool. It's just the people that mess it up, blah, 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 blah. And although I have empathy for that point of view... You know, at at one point, it's kind of like the genie's out the bottle, which means we do need to take ownership of how we're using these applications. I wouldn't even go as far to call them tools because then you have to acknowledge that they're not tools. We are also being manipulated and used by these companies, by Facebook, by Instagram, because they have their own goal and their goal is to keep us on the application for as long as possible, to sell us as much as possible so that they can make as much money as possible, right? That's their goal. And we have to acknowledge that that's their job and that's their goal. We should not fall prey to this idea of that It's kind of just a tool sitting there waiting to be used. A a gentleman on the film literally said this. His name is evading me, but he said, a tool patiently waits to be used, you know? Your bike is just sitting in your basement waiting until you use it. The broom is just sitting in the closet waiting for you to use it. But your phone is sending you notifications. It's manipulating you. It's seducing you. It's asking you to use it. That is... The the distinction between a tool and however you want to label social media, right? Now, you can use social media as a tool. It's possible, but they make it very hard to use it just in that way. And if we're being honest, they don't want you to use it just in that way because that's going to limit their goal, which is to make money. And how these free applications make money is through ads. And so the documentary kind of, you know, explains the nuances of how um, these companies make money, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And it's basically through selling our attention and the potential to manipulate our behavior one way or another to buy one product to watch an extra video. And this is what's most valuable to advertisers. So we aren't using a product, but we are the product. Okay? And if we are the product, we can't be using a tool. (laughs) It's almost like we are the tool. So I found this movie super interesting. I want to continue having conversations about it. And... In watching it afterwards, I thought about fitness because I wear a Fitbit. You know, a lot of people wear Apple Watches, or you have these health applications on their phone. I know the company Whoop is becoming super popular, um, which I think is interesting because Whoop is different in the sense that it doesn't have a a screen on the actual—I guess you could call it band. There's no screen on the band, so that it's. It separates itself from Apple Watch, Fitbit, and etc. And I kind of just thought about the role technology plays in terms of fitness. And I think it plays many different roles, some positive, some negative. Um, at the end of the day, it does kind of depend really how you're using these technologies. So the, the first thing that immediately came to mind is just the internet. You know, just the internet as technology, just the World Wide Web, Google, Bing, uh, whatever Safari, so whatever you use, just your ability to search something on the internet. Uh, how to lose weight, how to build muscle, um, how to do a handstand, how to squat, how to deadlift, all of these questions you could just search that quickly on the internet and get thousands, if not hundreds of thousands and millions of results, in answer to that one question. Now, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And this is where things get complicated because obviously the answer is both. That's a good thing because you kind of have this endless access to knowledge, to information, right? and it's a bad thing because you have this endless access to knowledge and information you know if there's millions of answers that means that you have to sift through that to find the truth or what's most accurate or even what works for you right and with all of this information it means that there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of lies out there so the com- the where things get complicated is trying to differentiate or figuring out how to differentiate between the truth and the lies. How do you know, right? I'll give an example. Right now, I think a hot topic is flexibility and mobility. You know, should you stretch? Does it mean that that does um, is stretching is valuable? Should you just train in your end range? Should you do mobility work? Should you not do mobility work? Should you foam roll? Should you not foam roll? Should you use these like electric massagers like the Theragun and the Hyperice? Should you not use them? Right? And you can find an argument for either or anywhere. You can find hundreds, thousands for each. So how are you going to figure out which one it is? And so in that sense, I think a lot of times this over information and the misinformation leans more towards being a drawback because it kind of clouds your own intuition and personal judgment. You know if you simplify how we work as humans we we navigate by considering past experiences, you know you know I know not to put my hand into fire because I did once and it really hurt. It burned. I know to um wear a helmet when I ride a bike because I've fallen off of my bike and gotten a concussion, right? So I'm moving through the world presently because of my past experiences. And a lot of times with this over-information, misinformation, we don't allow that to to, to be true. We kind of look to other people's experiences And we look to other people's realities to tell us what we should do on our own. And although that's intelligent in the sense that, well, if someone else can tell me that fire will burn me, why would I wait to have that experience? It could also be a detriment because you don't actually allow yourself to learn on your own. And sometimes that could be the most valuable thing is to simply go through the motions yourself. So when someone asks, uh, should I deadlift to strengthen my upper back and my lower back? Or should I do um, back extensions? Yeah, I could present articles for one or the other and say, well, you know, the literature says that you should do X, Y, Z. But I could also tell the person, hey, focus on one, right? for four weeks then focus on the other for four weeks and compare i could also tell them to do both right so a lot of times just allowing people to use their own intuition and to go through the motions themselves is what is the most valuable thing and the most beneficial thing and so Just being able to quickly Google something or search something on the internet, it kind of stops. It stops that natural, intuitive experiencing of life, of training, whatever it is, right? And how do you decide? How do you decide what you should look up and how do you decide what you should experience? And in that sense, in terms of the internet, just like the vastness of the internet, I think is a benefit and it's also a drawback. Um, And I think that one is harder to tame because I do my own research. Research is super valuable, Um, but I do find most of the time it gets to a point where I straight out just need to be like, I'm going to try this for myself and I'm going to see and I'm going to do my own testing and experimenting. And if we're honest, the most... Um, innovative in the most probably even respected trainers to an extent or coaches are those who have allowed themselves to be innovative and how do you be innovative you try things okay innovation doesn't come from just sitting behind the computer and searching something it might be inspired by that But the innovation actually comes down to you going out there and trying new things. And so that's why I encourage people to be intuitive in terms of what they do for their bodies, because you will learn so much more about yourself through experience and through doing than you'll ever learn from just sitting somewhere and reading. You know, no one ever got good at shooting a basketball by reading about it. No one ever got good at at, at sprinting by, by reading about it. They got good at it by doing. And I feel like the same thing applies to simply working out. The same thing applies to pretty much everything. You're going to get good through the action, not through the studying, right? Although the studying is an important first step. Um, so the... The other aspect of technology in terms of fitness is the obvious one, which I mentioned earlier, and it's these fitness watches, which I think have probably become popular or more popular in the past five years. Um, Fitbit has been a long, has been um, around for way longer than that. And I, when Fis- Fitbit first came out, it was used primarily for runs, just like long runs, tracking the distance um, your steps, whatnot. And more recently, fitness watches are tracking your calories and your, your sleep and your, your heart rate and your blood oxidation, like all of these different things just from a watch, which is amazing because you're getting all of this data about your body all of these data you're getting about your body. And why wouldn't you want to know more? To a certain extent it's kind of like the more data the better because you're you're simply informed. You know, if there's something invariable about your heart rate or if you realize that you haven't actually gotten that much sleep for the past 2 weeks or you you've been getting under 2000 steps every like you can use that information to understand your training, even understand maybe the implications of your mental health or just how your, envir- your, your environment is affecting you and, you know, so on. So the data can be very valuable, but the same way the vastness of the internet can take away that intuitive, your intuitive nature, I believe so can these watches, right? and in my experience, in terms of the the Fitbit is, I have a Fitbit, so I'm going to speak about Fitbit specifically. I've never had an Apple Watch, I've never had a Whoop, which I want to talk about specifically in comparison to these other two, um, and why I think, why I want to actually try it out, and why I think others might want to try it out. Um, but in terms of the Fitbit, during COVID, um, when COVID first started, I was wearing it and I got a good idea of kind of what my baseline activity was. On average, I would hit 15 to 17,000 steps a day just from my working and my regular um, activity. It wasn't something I had to like really try hard for. And then I got a good idea of my calorie expenditure. And I guess another conversation could be how accurate... um, or precise these things are which for me the precision isn't as important but the accuracy is important which basically means um a simple example of that is if you step on a scale and the scale isn't precise you know the scale is off by a few pounds and let's say you're trying to gain weight what's more important is not that well this says that you're five pounds lighter, five pounds heavier than you actually are, what's important is that you're actually going to continue to use that specific scale so that your data is accurate, right? You want your data to be accurate. And how it's accurate is by being consistent with where you're weighing yourself, when you're weighing yourself, how you're weighing yourself, and that you're using that same scale, even if it's imprecise. Does that make sense? So for me... The precision isn't as important as the accuracy. Anyways, so like I'm saying, as COVID started, I noticed that, of course, my activity level went down and I shifted from simply accepting the information I was getting from my watch before as data and I started using it as kind of a marker to punish myself. Right, I I use it as a marker to be like, you only got five thousand steps today, or you you burned this amount of calories less, or um, you only slept this much, and I kind of started making the data that's objective subjective, right? And in that sense, it just became a huge burden, I believe, to my mental health. So for months. I think from April or May, I literally took off the watch and I didn't wear it because I realized that I was allowing, I, I realized that the watch was kind of using me and I wasn't really using it anymore. And so I kind of just, I, well, I didn't kind of, I completely <laughs> removed it from, from my life. Just put it into my drawer and I left it alone. And I did reach a point last month where I was like you know what I want to get it back I want to use this information in a meaningful way I don't want it to use me and since I've gotten it back I haven't used it in sort of that unhealthy capacity but that's just one example of how something that is meant to be a tool something as simple as a fitness tracker a watch can really start to use you at a certain point. and so, turning to the whoop, something that I want to try out like I said, is interesting because the band doesn't have a screen, right? So you can't constantly just turn, turn your hand and see, okay, steps, see, okay, heart rate, see calories because my assumption from the design is that that might not be the intention, right? The intention is just to do what you do and then the band connects to an application on your phone. And then at the end of the day, you check your phone and you kind of see where you're where you're at and you really do use this information as it's meant to be used, as data, right? Um, it tracks your sleep variability, um, it tracks your, uh, your stress, or I think they call it strain. I think that's the kind of the most popular selling point slash feature. And then, of course, it tracks I believe your steps and your heart rate and maybe even your calorie expenditure as well, but the lack of screen prevents it from you know, like I mentioned earlier, it prevents it from it manipulating you, calling out at you, nagging at you um but of course, I don't have it, so i don't I don't know how the the phone application works, but I do think the fact that it's a physical band with no screen is a very interesting feature and i would assume that it's it's a very intentional one um so i definitely want to i definitely want to try try out the loop and maybe maybe i'll even get it and do a little review on it in comparison to the fitbit talk about accuracy precision um Maybe that could be a YouTube series, not a YouTube series, an Instagram series or even a podcast episode in and of itself. Adding on to the vast nature of technology, um, something else that I was thinking about that that doesn't necessarily have to do with technology um, is kind of the technical and scientific side of the fitness industry. And I see a lot of this on social media. I see a lot of it on Instagram because that's the main social media that I'm on. And, you know, you'll have these people posting who are doctors or physical therapists who have all these certifications and they kind of use that as um, a pillar to stand on to validate what they're saying, right? And they get really technical with their movements and angles and While I appreciate the science, you know, I also want to push back on it because our bodies were made to move. It's as simple as that. And so could any movement really be a bad movement, right? Remember when people thought you couldn't put your knees over your toes? That's literally something people still believe to this day. And we know that there's nothing wrong with squatting, moving knees over toes, because guess what? Try to go down the stairs without getting your knees over your toes. Just try. You can't do it. Can't do it. So sometimes getting stuck in the science and waiting for the science to catch up is not the way to go because it could take one to two decades for the science to catch up. And in our lifetime, we don't we don't have time to wait for the science to catch up to us. That's why, like I said, the kind of baseline of this episode is just being intuitive with your movements, being intuitive with it, being intuitive with your training, being intuitive with it means training your entire body for all movements, right? Not limiting yourself to just, you know, doing one type of training. One modality, using kettlebells, using dumbbells, using barbells, using just body weight. Because we move in many different ways and our bodies are so much more complex than we give them credit for. And I've even noticed this in my own training, in my own body, the own imbalances I've probably enhanced and maybe even created by the style of training I was doing even before covid right? I see it in my body now and how I move. And so something I wish I could tell myself was to forget the literature for a second, right? It could be very valuable. Biomechanics is very valuable. Understanding how the body works and how it moves, that is super important. But getting stuck in that and the technical of, well, you should you, you should do uh, terminal and knee extensions for your VMO and you should lay down, you should stretch this way. Getting so technical with that can kind of just bog you down when it really is as simple as moving. Just allowing your body to move. We don't allow our bodies to move. We have to be so strict and specific and technical with it. We'll squat in this way and shoulder press in that way and bicep curl in this way and lunge in this way if we simply just allowed our bodies to move and we allowed our bodies to sweat and struggle and we pushed ourselves and challenged ourselves, I think we all would be so much better for it. You know, I did a workout with someone yesterday. They were kind of teaching me about um, the core and I just realized how misunderstood the core is, right? We all think of abs and You know how your core looks but really how your core functions is is where all movement comes from your core is where all movement stems from you know this person basically said if your core isn't working right nothing is working right and we were doing body weight movements and i was struggling if i allowed myself to get stuck in the reading and in the science I I wouldn't have allowed myself to do like I did yesterday and to feel, right? You have to allow yourself to become aware of your own body, to feel what your own body needs because you need to trust yourself that you will know when it needs something. You will know when you have an imbalance if you just allow yourself to feel it. You allow yourself to know. But you're not gonna know if you just stay outside of your body and you're constantly looking for this external information. All of the information is right where you need it to be. It's right in you. I realize that just becoming simply aware, genuinely aware of your body is probably one of the most valuable things anyone can do. And so I urge people, it's kind of rant, but I urge people not to get stuck in the science, right? Not to get stuck in the technicality and just allow the simplicity and your own intuition to lead you through your training and through your daily movement. Allow your inner awareness and knowing to tell you what you need. Trust it. Trust yourself. Trust your body. All right. So I'm going to end this episode here. I promise the next episode will drop on Sunday. Thank you for joining and tuning into Performance Complex. Have a good one.